Welcome back, Kirkwood, to the KPL Podcast. I'm your host, Jigisha Patel. And over here is Ryan Drinkard, your other host. So this is an exciting week for us librarians, because we get to be rebels. Rebels with a cause. Yes, we are going to be talking to you about banned books. But before we do that, we have an interview for you with... Nathaniel Philbrick. And he is talking about a rebel, too. George Washington. They were colonists <laughs> fighting against the crown. That's right. And they overthrew some tea because of the taxations. Spoilers. Spoilers, yes, in case you didn't uh, know. And another spoiler, he didn't really chop down a cherry tree. This is, all really doesn't come up in our conversation except for the cherry tree. <laughs> <laughs> we will be talking about his latest book, Travels with George. Quick interview, but I think you'll learn some new things about our first president that you may not have known. Well, let's get to it. We have a truly special guest today. Listeners, Nathaniel Philbrick is the multi-award-winning New York Times bestselling author of such fantastic reads like In the Heart of the Sea and Mayflower. In the fall of 1789, not a year into his presidency, George Washington undertook a series of road trips as he attempted to unite the 13 states into a single nation. In Nathaniel's latest title, Travels with George in Search of Washington and His Legacy, Nathaniel, his wife Melissa, and their dog Dora retrace Washington's trek and hope to gain a historical perspective in these politically divided times. Travels with George is a bit of a departure from your straightforward previous titles. It has more of a personal feel and approach. We were curious if you'd share uh, what inspired you to write the book and then to frame it in such a fashion. Yeah, well, you know, the, the work of literature that inspired it was John Steinbeck's Travels with Charlie, which is uh, one of my favorite books, where Steinbeck teams up with his standard poodle, Charlie, and heads out to discover the meaning of America. And I had just finished, or was about to finish, um, a trilogy about the American Revolution. And I had had enough of bloodshed, but I just wanted to know what happens to George Washington next. And uh, I also was getting itchy in my office. Um, I'm here at the, the basement of my, uh, uh, my house on Nantucket, and I've been chained to this desk for 25 years, it seemed like. I needed to get out there and see the country I'd been writing about for all these years. And my wife, Melissa, had just retired, and so for the first time in 35 years, she was available. Um, we had a new puppy named Dora. So just like Steinbeck, uh, we could potentially take our dog. So I decided, uh, you know, I had known that when Washington became president, he set out on a series of road trips in an attempt to unify the country. And I thought, well, what if we followed George? You know, what if we followed in his footsteps? Uh, uh, this, was, this is a time, obviously, of deep political division. Would it be instructive to to follow Washington as he tried to tried to unite this country at the very beginning of our history. So thus was born Travels with George. We headed out, and uh, uh, the book is half of uh, George's travels and half of ours as the the narratives interweave. And might I observe, well done on the timing. If you were feeling uh, caged in before, just right around the corner, because I believe you did this in 2018, right? We, yeah, we started in 2018. We were done pretty much by fall of 2019. Uh, you know, the election, presidential election hits, uh, the pandemic hits. Well, no, the pandemic, then the presidential election. 
And that's, it's all a blur. I don't know about you guys, but what a year that was. And then George Floyd and the, the, the demonstrations for social justice that you know, took over the country and really the world. And you know, these were issues that were latent uh, when we were following Washington. You know, uh, uh, Confederate monuments were being removed. Uh, slavery was a part of the discussion, but now it was the discussion in a, in a way. And, and so suddenly um, the writing of the book became like red hot. It seemed like in terms of, it seemed like a vector pointed at the soul of America in so many ways. And so there was a real urgency I felt uh, in working on the book. And, um, and so, you know, I was pretty much done with it in the fall of 2020, just before the presidential election. So I imagine as you're going on your journey, you must have learned a lot of interesting and fascinating facts about George Washington. So is there one in particular that you'd like to share with us that maybe struck out or stuck out with you? Yeah, well, you know, we all grow up with the tradition that he chopped down his father's cherry tree, you know, that, you know, and that's a that's that's a fabrication. It's a legend. (laughs) But when we were in South Carolina, following the road uh, in the real hinterlands, we um, were on our way to Charleston. We came across Hampton Plantation, uh, now owned by the state. And it was visited by George Washington. The owner uh, had just built a new porch and told everyone that no one could step on the stairs until Washington uh, uh, visited it for the first time. And so Washington climbed up the stairs. The, the woman who owned the plantation noted, pointed out this huge uh, live oak uh, that uh, was right in front of the porch. And she said, you know, now that I've uh, made this porch and reoriented the, ho- reoriented, reoriented the house, I'm going to have to cut down this tree. And Washington said, no, no, don't, don't do that. Uh, you know, uh, something as beautiful as this, this magisterial live oak with stripping with Spanish moss, you've got to leave it where it is. And so it's still there today. Um, it's a real living monument uh, to Washington's conservation uh, efforts uh, way back when. And so, uh, you know, that for us was was uh, one of the things that stood out. But I have to say, everywhere we went, there was something surprising that it revealed not only about the country, but about Washington. It was, you know, as Steinbeck says, you don't take a trip, a trip takes us. And uh, we really felt that way by the end of uh, following Washington. And I imagine there was quite a lot of like pride out there, like people that you were talking to. Here we are so many years later. This tree was in George Washington's presence. And I imagine you saw no end of like plaques and, and things like that. Every town, ta- literally every town had a plaque and so uh, sometimes several. And they, you know, in New England, there was the phenomenon of the Washington Elm. Every town seemed to have an elm tree where Washington paused in his laborious journey to refresh himself and cool himself under the shade of its welcoming branches. Um, and we began to realize these traditions have absolutely nothing to do with reality. You know, these were all came to light uh, in the 19th century when these trees were huge and, and uh, 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 beautiful. But Washington, when he was zooming past in 1789, it was November. It was cold. <laughs> there were no leaves on the trees. And these trees were saplings. They were, you know, he probably didn't even notice them as he zoomed by in a cloud of dust. And so, um, you know, it's, there is this pride, 
but it's it was kind of interesting to sort of you know not poke holes in the pride because um, the past is you know in all its uh, complexities uh, something you want to retrieve in any event. But it was fun to sort of see the traditions that you could say, wait a minute, is this really true? Uh, was this or is this too good to be true? What do you hope the readers take away from Travels with George? Well, I, you know, I hope they uh, get a sense of how far Washington traveled. And I don't just mean in terms of miles. And he, he did travel really far, uh, you know, thousands of miles. His southern tour was uh, almost 2,000 miles alone, visited hundreds of, of, of towns and cities. But it's not just that. Um, it's how far he traveled as a human being. I mean, this was someone who became a, a, a slave owner at the age of 11 when his father died and inherited several enslaved workers. Uh, he grew up with this institution and yet the revolution changed him. He began to realize that, wait a minute, the preconceptions of my youth are not, can't be the preconceptions of the future. His, his closest confidant during the revolution was a young idealistic Frenchman, Lafayette, who would later say, if I had known I was helping to form a nation that sanctioned slavery, I never would have fought in the American Revolution. And, and uh, Washington began to, to contemplate freeing his enslaved workers. Washington was, we can't give him a, a jail card on this though. I mean, Washington's complex relationship with slavery, he, he was, inter his wife's uh, dead husband's estate owned half the enslaved people in Mount Vernon. He owned the other half. They had intermarried, so it was a really complex situation. Uh, when Martha's um, uh, attendant, uh, Ona Judge, when they were in, in Philadelphia, uh, escaped to freedom in Portsmouth and was very upset, Washington um, used the power of the office to try to bring her back. Um, and to the credit of those in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, who refused to cooperate and insisted she was not lured away, she was just in search of freedom, uh, she was able to stay there. But you know, how do you reconcile that with the same man who frees his enslaved workers upon his death? Uh, you know, it's complex. It's um, it's 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 different. You know, it's it's not easy. Such is the history of America. Such is America today. And, you know, and yet this is the same guy who was overheard as president saying, if slavery should ever divide this country, I will go with the northern part. And so it's it's uh, Washington is endlessly fascinating. And he's someone who I don't care what you think about him. You have to reckon with him because there he is at the beginning of our nation's history. Absolutely. So true. And interesting point. I always think about Thomas Jefferson and his sort of struggle with slavery and his decisions. And I just hadn't even thought about George Washington having gone through the same thing. Right. Well, yes. I mean, you know, Jefferson uh, has largely because of Hamilton, I think, you know, has uh, taken a, not a, a central role, not necessarily a positive role, but, you know, he, he, he did struggle with it. Um, but Washington actually acted on it. I mean, he did free his, he's the only slaveholding founding father to do that. Yes, he waited to the end of his life. Uh, but the fact of the matter is the free community, a uh, free black community that was created because of that action in Fairfax uh, County uh, would blossom into a community unlike any other in the South uh, where 
they would interact, uh, uh, Quakers from up north would buy up a lot of the property associated with Mount Vernon, employ um, the African American, free African Americans, and create this society that was completely unique. And it all began with Washington's decision, which is interesting because so many of his Southern compatriots condemned the decision, you know, claiming it was irresponsible and all that. But of course, it wasn't. And so, you know, Washington, you know, he is. He created the union in many ways, um, and we, to that we will be forever grateful, but he was complex, and such is the United States. Yeah, I don't think a truer statement ever said in that regard. Before we go, one question we like to ask all of our authors, because we're librarians, we just love book recommendations. So we'd like to ask, what are you reading, or what should we all be reading? Yes. Okay, well, first off, Travels with George is a love letter to you guys, to librarians. I mean, it's, I, I sent a, a pleas out to the librarians in every town we were about to visit. What do you have on George Washington? And they were hugely helpful. In Newburyport, Massachusetts, we've, the town's library is one of the buildings Washington actually slept in. Washington slept here in the periodical department. But anyway, <laughs> it's just um, a huge part of, of uh, the book and our, our following George. But right now, I am uh, reading the new biography of Bob Dylan, the two Ooh. sides of Bob Dylan. I'm, I'm really into music and have always mm -hmm. been fascinated by Dylan. But usually I'm reading novels. And um, usually Victorian novels. I'm a Charles Dickens, George Eliot fan. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of Adam Bede having just finished Middlemarch. And I don't read history for fun because that's what I read all day. Um, but you know, that said, there are a huge number of, of uh, incredible uh, historians writing today that uh, are have you know I rely upon when it comes to my research. And and so. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm reading really to help, help sort of, I don't know, get a sense of voice, get a sense of what's happening at, at us in this cosmos. And I, I save the history delving to the, the day, the workaday project. Escapism is so important. Absolutely. In this day and age, I find myself reading the sports page just because I can't handle <laughs> whatever I'm going to have to read next, which is not a healthy tendency, but uh, I'm on book tour, so I need all the help I can get. <laughs> well, uh, Nathaniel, thank you so much for taking time today and talking to us. It's been, it's been a delight. Oh, it's, it's great to talk to you guys. And and uh, and thank you for this. And as li as librarians, I do want to say, um, uh, without um, people in your line of work, we we just writers could not function, and communities could not function. So thank you. Uh, we appreciate the authors too. Thank you so much. Our guest today was Nathaniel Philbrick. His latest book, Travels with George, is available right here at your Kirkwood Public Library or wherever thought-provoking books are sold. Hey everyone, it's Chikisha, and I wanted to tell you about the HRC 2021 Art Exhibit. The Kirkwood Human Rights Commission and Kirkwood Public Library are sponsoring a student art exhibit. This art exhibit is open to all middle school students in public, private, religious schools and homeschooled, located within the city limits of Kirkwood, our seven school districts, grades 6 through 10. The exhibit will be displayed Sunday, November 7th through Saturday, January 8th. 
and there will be an opening reception on November 7th from 1 to 3. So students are encouraged to submit their artwork. The theme is going to be Look Beneath the Surface. And it could be any medium. All mediums are accepted. All work must be one-of-a-kind original handmade art. So if you want more details, then check out our blog on kirkwoodpubliclibrary.org. You can drop off the artwork at the Kirkwood Public Library or school libraries at Kirkwood High, North Kirkwood Middle, or Nifer Middle between October 24th and November 5th during normal hours. If you have any questions, just give us a call at the library. It's 314-821-5770, option 3. Thanks, and let's continue. Okay, so this week we're talking about banned books because, well, it's this the end of banned book week, which runs from September 26th to October 2nd. Yes, and Ryan and I are going to tell you all about our list of banned books because we're rebels, as I said. What, yeah. have, you, what have you got for us, Jakeisha? Well, I you may have heard me talk about this book once or twice. It is To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Oh, that is, uh, I've, I've heard you talk about that once or twice. I am familiar with the, that book. Uh, that is one that constantly gets challenged. It does. It has been on the banned books list pretty much the entire time it's been published. I, I don't know if there's anything to say about that. It's a timeless perennial classic, and I find it so strange that it would make a challenged book list. In fact, the books that I was going to bring up this week are ones that I find banned for such humorous reasons that that it makes me scratch my head in wonderment. Although I'm simply speaking for myself, being a librarian, I find the act of banning a book abhorrent. I think knowledge should be free to everyone, and I think you'd find that even amongst the youngest of us, pretty easy to, pretty pretty elastic minds, as it were. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yes, all books should not be banned. There should be no censorship of books. Mm -hmm. Even the bad ones. <laughs> Just kidding. I mean, but there are there are books that I that I would say, yeah, are bad ones that have challenging concepts, concepts that I do not agree with. Uh, if I had, you know, my own personal bookstore, maybe I wouldn't stock them. But I'm I'm not a, I'm not a seller of books. I'm a librarian, and those books have a place here too. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. All right, Ryan, so now that you've given us this amazing intro to your list, I am curious to know what is the titles on your list? Okay, so have you ever heard of this book that that challenges young people's minds and sets them on a path of danger? It's called Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? <laughs> oh, no, why is that on the banned book list? Okay, That's so, intriguing. It, so in 2010, it was banned by the Texas Board of Education because the author is uh, the author is one Bill Martin Jr. There's also another Bill Martin who wrote a book called the Eth called Ethical Marxism. He was a Marxist, and he's writing a book about Marxism. And so as far as I can tell, in, in articles that was written around the time, the Texas Board of Education did not do their due diligence on determining that these were two very separate people and was afraid that Brown Bear Brown Bear would basically propagate Marxist ideas amongst their children. <laughs> and so and so this book gets banned. Uh, and, you know, I've also read articles where the Texas Board of Education also said, well, 
that you know in their defense that uh, that they did know, but that they did you know they did want one to beget the other. Frankly, I think it's it's all a little bit ridiculous. I have read Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? And I do not recall seeing any political um, agenda say, agenda or difficulties or anything of that. I think there's another fine example of, you know, high-minded, good ideas gone, um, yeah, a mess. Yeah, the Brown Bear, Brown Bear is all of, what, like 10 pages? You know, it's a children's board book. There's nothing really wrong with exposing children to other forms of thought. At some point, they're going to grow up and they're going to go out into society at large. And not everybody thinks the same thoughts. And there are a lot of times, and this is, I don't want to go down this side street, but I've said on the podcast many times where I, growing up in a rural area, was only taught one frame of reference. And then when I got into the, out into the real world, air quotes, not everybody shared that point of view. And I feel like that handicapped me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like knowledge is power. And whether I agree with it with a with a viewpoint or not, I like to learn about it. I love learning, and and uh, I'm going to start with brown bear, brown bear. What do you think? See, sounds good. <laughs> well, the other book on my list is also another classic, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and it's The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Mm-hmm. This is a tough book to read, but it has also been on the banned book list numerous years. I highly recommend checking the book out and reading it. You know, I'll, I'll follow suit with that. Toni Morrison is a is an amazing author. Uh, she is greatly missed. What was that, 2019? or mm-hmm. oh, Yeah. That's right. So, and, um, yeah. She, and it's, it, if, you, if you haven't read it, it's high time to go back and read it. And read uh, uh, her back catalog, too, which is, there's so many good books in Toni Morrison's canon. Yes. The, the, she's got an amazing list. Beloved is one, another one that I really enjoy. Yeah. So, and that might have been on banned book list, too, at a time or two. You know, that's a good question. I can't imagine it not be, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, I, I think in some places, arriving on the banned book uh, list might be a sign that you made it. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I'm the kind of person who's going to go and check out these books. So, it might actually even boost the sales for right, right. for author. So, or, <laughs> or, you know, have them, more people are going to read them because they are on the banned book list. Uh, not to give another podcast a spot, but there uh, another podcaster has this great story where we're back in the origin of their podcast. They handed out uh, uh, business cards where they where they quote Doctor Phil, a quote that he never said. And they're like, aren't you worried Doctor Phil is going to sue you? He's like, it'll be worth it for the publicity alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the next one I have also comes from the year uh, 2010, but this this one comes from California, and uh, it was the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. They 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 they, they yanked the tenth <laughs> edition of the Merriam-Webster from the shelves of fourth and fifth grade classrooms. And can you guess why the well-meaning banners? Banners decided to do this because the word "bootylicious" is in there. Uh, <laughs> I, which it is. Oh my goodness! I hope that's true. Is it true? I think so. Okay, that's amazing. Okay, so yeah, that that is essentially what it is that the children were basically going through and teeing at uh, words that. Are sexually graphic or or just gross, you know? Like I I completely remember being a child and like highlighting words like fart and burp and, and things like that. And, and that is exactly why the dictionary 
what you know again being librarians we would see the dictionary as a very important tool uh something you would definitely want to have in the hands of developing minds but apparently yes bootylicious <laughs> i totally threw ryan off that his game there uh, uh, yes yes oh, and now you took us out of the california markets in 2010 because you've said bootylicious oops oh well california it's your loss <laughs> So what I also, what we both enjoy doing is checking out the ALA puts out the list of the 10 most challenged books. And you can uh, go to their website and the, two, the 2020s out, the 2021 as of, as of right now is not yet available. And, and go through and see, uh, as always, To Kill a Mockingbird is on there as uh, Jigisha brought to our attention. Um, this past year, number one was George by Alex Gino. The reason is, according to the website, challenged, banned, and restricted for LGBTQIA plus content, conflicting with a religious viewpoint, and not reflecting to the values of our community. I've looked at George. It's it's a kid's book. It is a it is a kid's book about a trans kid, and I think it's I think it it deals with the issue lovingly and warm heartedly. I think that it, children who I think children just need to hear something that is both loving and warm-heartedly and not separated. And so I would, so for any listeners out there, values of our community, that's certainly subjective in my opinion. Okay. I feel like George was on there last year. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. go George. So, uh, so yeah, it is definitely always worth checking out and we want to hear from you. What is the wildest book that you've ever heard has been banned and why because well, because at the end of the day dialogue is definitely what we need with these challenging concepts agreed and where can they tell us where can they start this dialogue Jagisha? they could write to us at our email address which oh. is podcast at kirkwoodpubliclibrary.org now we won't actually open these emails unless the subject line says bootylicious <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding <laughs> <laughs> He is, kind of. <laughs> but if you decide to do that, that's awesome. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It'll make us laugh, for sure. I mean, I, I definitely should not be opening emails. <laughs> the subject lines is <laughs> So maybe I would. <laughs> it may get in trouble with our bosses. But <laughs> All right, Kirkwood. Well, all silliness aside, mm-hmm. please join us and be rebels with us. Yes, and if you want to learn more about banned books, well, I can't recommend a Better a better thing to listen to than our banned book episode from last year, where it wasn't just Jagish and I chatting about banned books, but we actually had the director of the First Amendment Clinic, Professor Lisa Hoppejans, to come in and talk to us about her favorite in the history and the practice of banning books. That's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. Jagish and I are off to road trip through history from the comfort of our very own lovely library. But before we do, I'd like to extend a very big thank you to author Nathaniel Philbrick for chatting with us about his latest book, Travels with George. Thank you. Join us next week when our guest will be historical fiction author, Leisha Cornwall. For October, Jagish and I have decided to give our exit quotations the month off. Since it's my favorite time of the year, we've decided to embrace the macabre with last words. Let's start with the final words of Jesuit priest and French grammarian Dominique Bouwers. 
I'm about to, or I'm going to, die. Either expression is correct. Clearly a grammarian to the very last. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.